Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Well, my friends, here we are again, week number three of worshiping together online only instead of in person. And, uh, you know, some of you have asked me about our series in the book of Romans that we had begun right before this whole COVID-19 pandemic began. And uh, I just want to let you know that my hope is to resume that study uh, after Easter, no matter whether we're together in this building or not. But for now, we're going to spend the next Uh, two weeks, including this week, uh, so the next three weeks if you include this week, preparing our hearts for Easter. Uh, I'm ready to begin fixing my eyes on Resurrection Sunday in the midst of all this, and I hope you are as well. Uh, It's hard to believe that Easter is only two weeks away from this morning, and uh, so that's what we're going to be doing this morning from the story of Lazarus from John chapter 11. So, if you would, please uh, turn in, in, in your Bibles there so you can follow along as I preach through the text. And before we dive in, I'd like to just pause for one more word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I uh, come before you again. And Lord, I just humble myself. And Lord, just express my need for you, Lord, as I, I would seek to teach your word. Lord, your word is living and active And, Lord, we know that you accomplish your purposes through it. Father, we pray that this morning, uh, God, that you would speak to us and that our hearts and our ears would be open. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a parent, do you ever catch yourself being a little too helpful to your kids? Just recently, my son asked me for some help with an assignment. You know, uh, our kids, like maybe many of your kids and grandkids, are, are doing the online classes uh, exclusively. And uh, so my son asked me for help with one of his online classes, and I said, sure. And, and I began to help him. And next thing I know, uh, I come to my senses, and, and, and suddenly it dawns on me that I'm the one sitting in front of the computer and I'm basically doing the assignment for him. Not his fault, right? Don't call us teachers. <laughs> uh, this one was on me. I had to catch myself, and I, and I kind of said to myself, wait a minute, what am I doing? If, if I do this for him, not only is that cheating, but it defeats the whole point of the assignment. He's not going to learn a single thing. Now, I know other parents struggle with this because I've walked around at those science fairs and I've seen a lot of those projects, you know, the ones where it looks like someone with a bachelor's degree worked on it. Uh, So I know you know what I'm talking about. Well, the fact of the matter is, as a parent or really a leader of any kind, I think we, we know that sometimes swooping in to help isn't always the best thing to do. And this is true not in spite of our love for for people, but because of our love for them. 
even if, if they don't understand why we would need to delay. And, and that really brings me to the truth that I want to bring out of this text. And that is that sometimes love delays rescue. Sometimes love delays rescue. And I just have three simple points this morning. The first one is this. Jesus loves me, this I know. This story drops us into the lives of three siblings, Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus. And together they lived in a little village named Bethany, which was really less than two miles outside of Jerusalem, situated just east of the Mount of Olives, there near the Temple Mount. And this dear family, we we can learn from other stories in the Gospels that this dear family often hosted Jesus and his disciples whenever they were in Judea in that surrounding area. They would often host them in their home. And we can gather from uh, these other stories, like I mentioned, that Mary and and Martha and, and Lazarus must have been quite wealthy. I mean, think about it. They were frequently hosting at least 13 men and uh, also in John chapter 12, in the very next chapter, we have this story of Mary pouring out this extremely expensive ointment upon the feet of Jesus. And that may have been sort of a family heirloom that, that she used there. We don't know. But just the fact that she had this really, expensive of, this really expensive ointment points to the fact that they probably were quite wealthy. And not only were they they probably wealthy, but it it seems as if they were also quite well-connected socially. We see that here in this story of the death of Lazarus. After Lazarus passes away, there's many Jews from Jerusalem who come out to this little village to mourn his death. So, you know, it seems as if the death of Lazarus in this little village creates quite a stir in the city. So this wasn't some obscure, unknown family, right? They, were, they seemed to have been wealthy and, and, and well-connected in some ways. And yet, even though they, they may have been wealthy and well-connected, we, we see here that illness is no respecter of such things. Lazarus falls seriously ill. But not to worry. These three siblings know Jesus personally. I don't know, but perhaps maybe they didn't want to bother Jesus right away when this illness struck, but uh, at some point in the illness, seeing the severity of it, the decision was made that they should send for Jesus So they sent a messenger out to find him. And I'm not even sure how they knew where to look for Jesus. I mean, these days we would just, you know, text somebody, find out where they're at, and come to them. Somehow they knew where Jesus was. They sent a messenger to him, and the messenger found him. And and Jesus was not in Galilee like he was often in the habit of of doing. But um, at the end of John chapter 11, at the end of the previous chapter here, we we read that Jesus was across the Jordan River in the region where John the Baptist had at first been baptizing people. And Jesus kind of remained there. So that means that Jesus was about 100 miles away from Lazarus when he got this message. 
And the message was simple. Lord, he whom you love is ill. The snippet of the message we have doesn't contain an explicit ask. You know, it's not uh, coming right out and, and asking Jesus to come to them. No, the, the ask here is implicit in the message. It's as if they're saying, Lord, come. He whom you love is ill. I mean, think about it. Hosting Jesus and knowing him personally and being around him uh, in, in all the ways that this family was, they surely had seen Jesus heal countless sick people, sick strangers, Surely he would come to heal their beloved Lazarus, whom he loved. This little verse here just has really captured my attention this week. How many people in Jesus' life would have described him in this way? I just couldn't help but wonder this. As if they were a beloved favorite of Jesus. As if they were a dearly loved friend. Obviously, Jesus couldn't know everyone equally. He couldn't know everyone personally in the land of Israel, but I I think of those who did know him personally, I think that that relationship with with him, it was marked with this unique love that Jesus had for people. Doesn't your heart kind of feel a a stab of longing when you read this description? He whom you love. How incredible it would have been to know Jesus personally, to be able to describe yourself as one whom Jesus loves. Kind of like, Jesus loves me, this I know. Not for the Bible tells me so, but for he himself has told me so. Right? How incredible would that be? I don't know about you, but I so often, I think, think of God's love sort of in the abstract. Or sometimes I think, you know, I I know that the, the Bible tells me that God loves me, but Sometimes because of my, my own sinfulness, I know that I am saved and I know that I am loved, but, but still, because of my own sinfulness, I, I can't help but wonder sometimes, Lord, is that love that you have for me, is it sort of like gritting your teeth and, and saying, you know, love is a decision, it's not a feeling, you know, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to love this guy? Is that the way that God loves me? Is he sort of putting up with me, does he love me but not really like me? I think it's so helpful here to to see the kind of love that people like Lazarus who knew the Lord personally, how they would describe how the Lord loved them. He was the one Jesus was the the one that you would send for when you were in a tight spot because you knew that he would not only be able to help you, but because he loved you. Not in the abstract, but concretely. Lord, come. He whom you love is ill. D.A. Carson says that 
we believers should describe ourselves as one whom Jesus loves. After all, he says, isn't that what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter 3 when he prays for the Ephesian Christians that they might be rooted and grounded in love and that they might have the strength to even comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. I am one whom Jesus loves, and I am beloved of the Father in him. I pray that we might have the strength and the faith to comprehend that love for us this morning. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's no less real now than it was 2,000 years ago when Lazarus said it. So Jesus loves me, this I know. Secondly, so sometimes Jesus delays. Look at verse 4 here in the text. It says, but when Jesus heard, heard this message, when he heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I don't really like the way that the ESV translates this verse here when it says that uh, it does not lead to death. Literally here, this verse says that this illness is not unto death. Clearly, Jesus knew that this illness would lead to death, that it would go through death to something greater. Right? But what he, what he intends to mean here is that it is not unto death. It does not end in death. That, that's not, death will not have the last word. But rather, Jesus indicates that this illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Just about every commentator I consulted pointed out about this verse that God is, is not glorified in sickness and suffering itself. But it, rather, it is the good that God brings in the midst of our weakness and suffering that glorifies him so much, that displays his power and his glory. I think it's an important distinction to make. It's similar to really what we were talking about last week from the, the book of James. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Why should we count it all joy? Not because we're to take some sort of perverse pleasure in suffering, but because of what God is going to do through the trial. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, James says. Look at verses 5 and 6 here in the text as it continues. John writes, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. He establishes that fact. Not only did Jesus love Lazarus, but he loved the whole family. He loved Martha, he loved Mary, he loved Lazarus. And then look, look what it says here in, in verse 6. It says, so, and that's literally the word therefore. You know, 
sort of the word therefore, it means, you know, it's a logical conclusion from what was just said. So what I'm about to say flows logically out of what I just said. So Jesus loved this family, loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. So, or therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in that place. Wait a minute, John. <laughs> Isn't that a typo? Didn't, didn't you mean to, to say here that Jesus loves these people, yet he stayed two days longer because of some kind of extenuating circumstance? Isn't that what you meant to say here? No, I, I think it's quite clear what John says and what, what he means here. Jesus loved this family. Therefore, so there, he stayed two days longer. He delayed himself. You know, with 2020 hindsight vision and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John sees here that Jesus' delay was not an exception to his love for these people, but it was actually an expression of that love. He had something greater in mind for this situation. You know, if you're waiting on the Lord for something in your own life, I think this gift, this, this story is, is a, a wonderful gift to you. For in this story, we see that Jesus loved this family, loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus so much. But therefore, he delayed himself for their good and for God's glory. Even though that that meant, in this case, Lazarus would literally die. Thirdly, in the meantime, believe in him who is himself the resurrection and the life. Now, after delaying himself for two days, Jesus discerns, I think supernaturally, that Lazarus has died. And after arguing with his disciples about it for a, a little bit, By the way, the, the disciples didn't think it was a wise decision to return to Judea where last time they were there, uh, they had almost been stoned to death. Right? They didn't think that was a, a wise decision. And when Jesus, he kind of steps through, you know, telling them that first, uh, you know, he thinks that, he, he tells them that Lazarus has fallen asleep and, and I, must, I must go, not we, but I must go and awaken him. And the disciples misunderstand that. They're still thinking in, in the earthly things and they think that he's fallen asleep and that that means he'll recover. And then Jesus has to say it so plainly, no, that means Lazarus has died and, and that he's glad for their sakes that, that he wasn't there so that they now have an opportunity to believe in him. Um, and he says, let us go to him. And then Thomas, ever the cheerful one here, chimes in and, and says, uh, let us also go that we may die with him. You know, I, I always have always read that and, and thought that, e that uh, Thomas was being a bit of an Eeyore here, that he just was, was so grieved by the, the loss of his friend 
Lazarus that, that he was speaking sort of in an exaggerating way and saying, you know, well, if, if we must go, we, we must go and die with him. You know, he was just so, so sad and so grieved by this. It's what I've al- always thought, and I, I never stopped and considered that it could mean something else. And uh, as I was studying this passage this week, it, I, I, I come to find out that what most people believe that this means, and I think they're right, is that Thomas was actually being quite cynical. Even though I'm sure Thomas was grieved by the fact that, that his friend had passed away, he didn't think it was wise to add to the tragedy of Lazarus' death by going to a place where they had probably been threatened last time they were there and adding to that tragedy Jesus' death and maybe the, even their own death. So he sort of, I think in a cynical way here, says, let us also go that, that we may die with him. Regardless of, of how you, you take that, uh, after two days, Jesus has discerned Lazarus' death and, and they end up uh, making their way gradually to the little village of Bethany outside of Jerusalem. And, and let's think about the timeline of this for just a minute. If you look in verse 17, it says here that, that Jesus came and he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. For four days. Now, at that time in, in, in first century Israel, uh, they typically would bury somebody the same day that they died. It wasn't a pleasant thing to, to leave a, a dead body uh, around for a, a, an extended period of time. So they would typically bury someone the same day that they died. And if we know that, and we know that, that Lazarus died and they probably buried him that day, and then four days later, Jesus shows up in Bethany, that means it was a, about a four-day journey from where he was. So, if Jesus sets out and, and it takes him four days to, to arrive in Bethany, then it's more than likely that Lazarus still would have died before Jesus arrived, even if he had set out immediately when he first received the message of his illness. As it turns out, more than likely, Jesus probably would have arrived two days after Lazarus's death, not four days. So why then would Jesus wait an extra two days? Why would he be so concerned to extend it from, from being late by two days and, or being late by four days? Well, I think he did it for the sake of his glory being displayed all the brighter in this situation. You see, in this time before modern medical uh, knowledge, there were some rare times when someone would die and, and they would uh, appear to have died, maybe even not even having a pulse or, or much of a breath, only to, to suddenly, a day or two later, suddenly revive and come back to life, seemingly rise from the dead almost. Right? This, this is a phenomenon that can happen even today, but we can still detect you know, the, the medical, we have the medical know-how to know that someone hasn't truly died. And so this led to the popular belief that a person's spirit would hang around for three days or so until they saw that the body was beginning to decay. And then at last, as the body began to change and to decay, the, the spirit of a person would finally depart. So by delaying for two more days, Jesus 
then stood at, at the tomb of his beloved friend Lazarus after he had been dead for four days. And as Martha so memorably says in, in the King James Version, his body had begun to decay and it already stinketh, right? His body, it, it, his spirit, if they had this belief, his spirit was clearly gone and his body had begun to decay. And in other words, Lazarus was not just dead, he was really dead, Verse 19 says that many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And as I said earlier, this was not an obscure family. So this, this term here, many of the Jews, probably refers to many of the leading Jews from Jerusalem. So I, I can't imagine the, the kind of anxiety that the <laughs> disciples in particular must have been feeling as they pulled into this town. Now, these Jews had, had come to console them, and, and grief is something that is expressed differently from culture to culture, isn't it? In first century Jewish culture, it was normal, even expected for you to wear your grief on your sleeve, right? It, w- it wasn't unusual for people to dramatically express their grief with loud cries and wails and outbursts. And so I tell you all that just so you can sort of have a picture of, of this sort of clamor that must have been going on as, as Jesus enters into the village. And meanwhile, Martha, who's sitting in the house mourning with her sister, waiting for people to come to her to mourn with her, she hears that, that Jesus is coming and she gets up and she goes out to, to meet him on the way. In verse 21, when, when Martha sees him, she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. At face value, this statement, it really isn't lacking in faith when you think about it, right? I mean, she clearly knew and, and believed that Jesus had the ability to heal. If only he had been here. Why then did he delay? And then, as if sensing that this statement could be taken too harshly, she adds this. She says, but even now, I I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. In other words, she's not questioning who Jesus is or his abilities, only his puzzling delay. And Jesus replies to her, your brother will rise again. Can you imagine comforting someone like that whose brother has just passed away? To which Martha replies with really what was the the good answer, right? This was the good Sunday school answer here. That It's what every good conservative Jewish believer believed at the time. You know, the Sadducees and the Samaritans didn't believe in the resurrection, but every good conservative Jewish person believed there would be a resurrection on the last day. And that's how she responds here in verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
But that wasn't exactly what Jesus was getting at. He didn't just want Martha to have a general belief in the resurrection on the last day. He wanted her to locate that belief in himself in particular. What a claim. What a claim Jesus makes here in this next verse. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It would be blasphemous if it wasn't true. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live because he is the resurrection. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die because he is the life. In him we shall never truly die. Even if we breathe our last breath here in this life, we shall breathe the next breath in heaven with him because he is life. And when we believe in him, we have abundant life now and eternal life forevermore. He is the resurrection and the life. This isn't the first time that Jesus has said something like this. Jesus has been making this shocking claim all along in his ministry that he has resurrection power. I want to show you just a couple of examples here in the Gospel of John in particular. I want you to look at John chapter 5 and verse 21 where Jesus says this he says for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will skip down to, to verse 25 here I'm just really giving you the cream of the crop He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The very next chapter, John chapter 6, verses 39 and, and 40. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose Nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks, to, looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What a claim. He's already been claiming uh, this kind of resurrection power for himself. But when he walks into this town here, he finds his dear beloved friends, Mary and Martha, and and probably many other people, even his own disciples, just perplexed. He's a few days late to save his friend. And it never even dawns on Martha, I think, or really anyone else really, that he who will raise the dead at the end of time has just strolled into the village. And Jesus says, Martha, I'm not late. I am the resurrection and the life. What does he mean by that? He means that there is no resurrection power or, or even enduring life apart from him. I heard D.A. Carson make this point in a similar way, and I'm, I'm kind of taking his illustration and adapting it to a more recent example. Uh, you know, if you're a, a sports fan, 
you're probably going through some withdrawals right now, right? I mean, every major sporting event ha has been canceled. The Olympics have now been canceled. Um, everything's been shut down. And, and yet, in spite of this, there's been one sort of significant bit of sports news that has occurred over the past couple weeks. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, recently announced that he's leaving New England and he's, after 20 years, going to be moving to Florida and joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And think about this. Tom Brady, uh, the quarterback for, for 20 years of one team, led the team to the Super Bowl nine times and won it a record-breaking six times. And as much as it, it pains me, I mean, it really pains me to admit he is probably the greatest of all time at that position. He's the greatest of all time quarterbacks in the NFL. And I don't think Tom Brady has, has ever said this or ever would say this publicly, but, but just imagine with me for a moment that if he were to stand up and say, I am the New England Patriots, uh, we would immediately think he was really arrogant but at the same time, we would kind of know what he means, wouldn't we? After all, who were the Patriots before Tom Brady came along? And isn't it going to be interesting to see who they are after he left? Right? What are, what's the team going to make of themselves now that he's gone? When Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life, he is in an even truer sense saying, there is no resurrection or life apart from him. And here I am, he says. Late by your estimation, but still, here I am. And, and he wanted Martha to know and to believe not just that there would be a resurrection someday, but that he himself is that very resurrection and life. What a claim. Do you believe this? Jesus says. He asks Martha, do you believe this? <laughs> to which Martha responds really, I think, beautifully here. Verse 27 she says to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. By God's grace, what a, what a way to respond with belief, with confession, And of course, the, it's this faith, this belief that paves the way by God's grace for what would come next. But how about you? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? There's only one man in history who has made such an audacious claim and instead of being locked up in an insane asylum for it, actually backed it up in such a way that it changed the world. You see, Jesus 
is not only going to, in just a few moments, demonstrate that he is the resurrection and the life by raising his friend Lazarus from the grave, but in a short time, Jesus is going to go to the cross and he's going to suffer and bleed and die for sins. He didn't deserve, but he's going to be nailed to a cross to die for the, the sins of those who would trust in him. He'll be buried in, in a grave for for three days, and on the third day, he himself will be raised from the dead. Proving in an even clearer way that he is the resurrection and the life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Follow Martha's example. Believe in him. Confess him as the Christ. Confess him as your Savior. Repent of your sins and turn to him Turn to him who claimed, not only claimed to be bigger than death, but him who proved it. Who are you trusting in today? Will you pray with me?